We are hanging out today in the book of Philippians. We've been reading through Philippians over the last week in our Bible in two years. And hey, <laughs> Mackie, Ruth, hey guys, you okay? Have they kicked you out? Sabbatical, oh, awesome. Mackie, oh gosh, I need to be on top form now. Ah. <laughs> Mackie's the pastor from Ken's Road. Oh, it's great to have Mackie and Ruth here. Uh, also, Dan, this guy here, he's not, not my twin, okay? Uh, <laughs> he's got a fuller, greater beard than I have. Uh, but yeah, Dan, great to have you here as well, mate. Friends of Emma, come from Welton. Uh, so yeah, anyway, um, gosh, right, better be on it. Uh, <clears throat> Everyone go and get a cup of tea while I quickly check my preach. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, We're hanging out in the book of Philippians. We've been reading through the Bible in two years. um, And over the last week we've been in Philippians. We've just started reading the last couple of days in Proverbs. So we'll be hanging out in Proverbs next Sunday. Um, If you're not following along with our two-year Bible reading plan, I know I plug it every week, but I'm going to plug it again. Like There are copies at the back on the desk. You can find it online on our website where you can even download it to your phone calendar so it tells you every day what you're reading. It's just one or two chapters a day. We're going from the Old to the New Testament like that as we work our way through the Bible. And we do it. We, we don't do it so we can say, check box, we've read the Bible. We don't do it so that we can say, great, we've understood all the Bible because if you get to that point, please come and tell me how you did it. Um, okay, We do it because every day we want to spend a little bit of time with Jesus because this is his word to us. This is the revelation of who he is uh, and, and, and we want to spend a little bit of time with him every single day just letting his word, his voice, his heart seep into our hearts and transform our lives and our minds and that's why we do it. Will you understand everything you read every single day? Probably not. That's okay. That's not the point. The point is to spend time with Jesus and let his word speak into your life. And so um, if I could encourage you to do just one thing, it would be that. Start reading the Bible every day. If you don't join in with ours, that's absolutely fine. Just find something that you can read along with, okay? Um, But that is why we do it, because we want to spend time with him. And our vision, I know I bang on about this a lot as well, but our vision is this. We want to be with him, learn from him, and become like him. You're not going to become like Jesus. We're not going to be a light in the world unless we're learning from him. And we're not going to learn from him unless we're spending time with him. And so that is what we want to do. We want to spend time with him, reading his word, in prayer, in worship, in all these different ways that we do discipleship. But one of the greatest ways you can do that is spend a little bit of time reading the word every single day. So please let me encourage you to start doing that if you're not. Um, Hands up, who read Philippians this week? Ah, epic. Okay. Philippians is one of those but one of those letters that we get to, and we're like, praise the Lord, we're back in Philippians. Isn't it? Isn't it one of those? Like, we're done with Job, we're back in the New Testament, everything is good with the world. Like, that's, that's kind of how we feel when we get to Philippians, right? Um, and, and it is. It's a, it's a great, great book. Um, someone once said to me, and um, I did check it at the time, so I'm pretty confident that it is right, but, but I haven't looked into it this week. Uh, but someone did once say to me that apparently the word joy is mentioned in Philippians 16 times. In just four chapters, 16 times in this little letter, the word joy is mentioned. And they kind of said to me, like, hey, this is what this book is all about. It's about joy. And that's sometimes, I think, how we feel when we get to Philippians. We're like, what a great book. Like, joy all over it. But I was reading through this time, um, and I actually, I was thinking about the whole joy thing. And as I was reading it, I was like, 
there's something in this letter that Paul talks about more than he talks about joy. More than he talks about anything else, he, he mentions this other word. He keeps saying it again and again and again and again. To the point that as I was reading it, I was like, Paul's got a little bit of an obsession. Like, you probably, if someone spoke about this thing as much as Paul talks about it in this letter, if they were talking to you, you'd probably walk away and be like, that person's a bit of a weirdo. They're a little bit obsessed with this. Steer clear from them, because if you get stuck in a conversation with them, all you're going to hear is, again and again and again. So, what is Paul obsessed with? If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and um, I I just want to skim through chapter 1 and quickly show you what I think Paul is more obsessed with than he is obsessed with joy. Is that okay? So, here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. What, What are they servants of? Christ Jesus. They're servants of Christ. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, okay, right. We are, we're two verses, three lines in, and already we've heard the words Christ Jesus three times. Okay. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Okay, that's not Christ Jesus, Matt, but hey, what does the word gospel mean? Now, we all know, I think, that the word gospel means good news, right? Like, this is good news. But I want to tell you this, that in the Bible, when you read the word gospel, Paul is not, or any of the other authors, are not talking about generic good news. Hey, good news, my car is fixed. Hey, good news, McDonald's have got the Big Mac extra large one back. Like, they're not talking about just generic good news. When the word gospel is mentioned in the Bible, it's a very, very, very specific thing. It's the good news about Christ Jesus, who died and rose again. So when you read the word gospel, when Paul talks about gospel, he's talking about Christ Jesus. So there it is again. Okay, there it is again. Uh, <clears throat> in all my prayers for all of you, I, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I just want to pull this out as well. What is Paul saying that they're partnering in? That they're not partnering in a wine tasting club. They're not partnering in a toddler group or food bank. They're not partnering in trips to the cinema. They may be doing all those things. We don't know. But what is their partnership in? What are they rooted in? What has brought them together, regardless of any other things that they like to do together? What is the foundational thing that brings them together? The good news about Christ Jesus. That is what brings them together. I don't know if you realize this, but that's what brings us together. I I hazard a guess that if many of us sat down and wrote our interests on a list of paper, there'd be a whole load of us that aren't interested in the same things. There'd be a whole load of us that have got different ideas about what we should do about X, Y, and Z. But the thing that brings us together is the good news about Christ Jesus. Because every single one of us in this room, Jesus has died for us and has risen again for us. 
all of us, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you like to do Monday to Saturday, regardless of, of what you think about X, Y, or Z, Jesus died and rose again for every single one of us in this room. And that is the thing that binds us together. Verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Are you getting the picture? All right? Like, Paul is obsessed with Jesus. He's obsessed with Jesus. Jesus is his everything, his be-all and end-all. Hey, God began a good work in you, and he's going to see it through to completion, not just for your own good, not just because he wants to see you complete. He wants to see you complete for the day of Christ Jesus, for the day that Jesus comes again and reigns in all his glory. He wants you to be there and be perfect and be made right for that day, for Jesus, for Jesus' glory, for Jesus' honor. That's what that's all about. He goes on and he says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me and can testify, uh, sorry, God can testify how I long for, uh, for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Hey, do you know what? Paul doesn't just just long for these people with a generic human love or a liking for them or because, hey, they all took a trip to uh, the ice cream shop and they all bonded over the fact that they love mint chocolate chip because it is the best, best ice cream flavor. Yeah, Emma Duncan. Um, Paul, Paul isn't just longing for them in any kind of way like that. He's not just longing for them because, you know, he likes them. He's longing for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's longing for them in Jesus. Everything that Paul does, everything that he acts out, everything that he's saying to the church is all about Jesus. And this is my prayer, verse 9, that that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Hey, he doesn't just want you to be spotless and blameless and ready for the day of Christ. Also, the only way that's going to happen is through Jesus Christ. You've got no hope of sorting yourself out. You've got no hope of making yourself spotless and pure and blameless. All of that comes through Jesus, through what Jesus has done. He's saying, hey, be rooted in Jesus. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, by the way, if you don't know, what has happened to Paul is that he's in prison, in a a Roman prison, Uh, probably seemed to have a death sentence over him, okay? Roman prisons weren't, I mean, not that our prisons are pleasant, but they weren't pleasant as today. Like, he didn't have a TV, he didn't have all of, you know, the kind of mod cons and comforts, he didn't have any of that. He was in chains in prison, okay? So what has happened to me has actually happened to advance the good news about Jesus Christ, the gospel. Even this, even this situation that I find myself in right now is all about and all for the glory of Jesus. That's what it is. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters uh, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who preach him out of envy, that the former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. So what he's saying is there are those people that are preaching Jesus because they think the more they preach Jesus, the more I'm being punished, right? Like, I mean, that's evil, right? I mean, that's, that's full on bad, okay? And they're out there doing it. And what's Paul's response? Paul's response says, but what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I don't know if you've ever um, walked through Bristol City Centre and seen someone preaching the gospel down there. And I confess, sometimes I see it and I'm like, yeah, you go. And other times I see it and I'm like, oh man, that makes me cringe. Like, I don't know if any of you feel like that. I'm just being honest, right? That's sometimes what it does in me. Um, But I read this and I'm like, what does it matter why or how someone is doing it? Paul says it doesn't, as long as Jesus is being preached. As long as the message is out there. I'm like, wow. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed because, <clears throat> sorry, but what will have, uh, but we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's saying, whether I live or whether I die is all for Jesus. It's all for, I don't care if they put me to death. I'm going to die proclaiming his name. It's all for Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. The faith in what? The faith in Jesus Christ. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ Jesus. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, uh, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul is obsessed with Jesus. Everything for him is about Jesus. Everything. I'm here in prison for Jesus. I'm writing to you for Jesus. I'm in partnership with you for Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Jesus. My joy is in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus. 
Jesus is his number one. He is the be-all and end-all for Paul. And he is saying to the church, be the same. Be the same. You'll read in the next chapter, he goes on and he says, be of one mind. He tells them later in the letter to, to copy him, to see what you've seen in me and copy it. Be like this. He's saying, Build your life on Christ. And the rest of the letter kind of unpacks some of that. So you get into chapter 2, and, and we're not going to read the whole letter, okay? Um, but as you cast your eyes down chapter 2, uh, you'll, you'll notice that Paul too is basically saying that. You too, you guys, you in Philippi, make your lives about Christ. Above everything else, put Jesus. Like I said a minute ago, verse 2, he says this. Um, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I don't know if you, you've probably read that verse before, right? And, and I've heard someone before say to me, oh, well, Matt, what that means is we as the church need to, to agree on everything. We need to be of one mind and agree on everything. Now, I implied earlier on about some jokey things that we might all have different opinions on, but we probably have different opinions on some really serious things as well, right? Um, here's the thing. This isn't about us deciding that we're all going to agree on this particular topic or that we're all going to agree on this particular topic or that we're whatever. It isn't about that. It's about all of us agreeing that we will seek to have the same mindset as Jesus. When he says be of one mind, he doesn't mean be of one mind with the loudest person in your church. Be of one mind with the person who seems to have the greatest strategy in your church. He says be of one mind. He's talking about having the mind of Christ. That we together as community should be seeking to have God's mind. That we should be like him. He goes on in verse 5 and he starts unpacking this a bit. And he says, in your relationships with one another, be like Jesus. And then you get this great quote, what they think is a hymn, okay, that he's put in there. And we know it so well, right? It goes on and says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself low, becoming a servant, taking on human form, and even dying on the cross. He humbled himself. Paul saying, guys, Seek as a community to think like Jesus, but also seek as a community to act like Jesus, to love one another like Jesus, not to do things from selfish ambition, but literally to lay down my rights, my way, my thoughts, my hopes, my dreams for the betterment of others, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He was king of the universe in all his glory, one with God the Father. And he didn't consider that something to hold on to. I don't know about you, but I think that we as human beings, when we find something that we think is good or makes us feel good or, or gives us status, we want to hold on to it as tightly as we can with both hands, right? And I think that's the way of the world. People just climbing over each other to hold on to their rights, their hopes, their dreams, their privilege, their whatever. But Paul says, hey, in the church, it shouldn't look like that. It should not look like that. This should be a counter-cultural movement. It should be one that follows the culture of heaven, where the very king of heaven did not hold on to everything that was his, but gave all of it up and died on a cross. I wonder if we took a good long look at ourselves. 
and our community. I wonder when we last did that for someone here or for the community as a whole. I know Barb talked about serving on team a minute ago, um, but there are loads of things that we could do to serve. Loads of ways that we could get involved. Loads of ways we could love one another. It doesn't have to be on a team, but there are loads of people that are just in desperate need and, and all of us have got different skills and different abilities and we're called to be a community that loves and serves one another. What does that look like? What might that look like for you to give up your time, to, to give up your money, to decide, ah, do you know, I'm not going to go to the cinema or go and get that coffee. Instead, I'm going to use my money to bless that person or do this. I'm going to lay down the things that I want to be like Jesus, right? Isn't that the goal? Be with him, learn from him, become like him. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for us to be like Jesus? He goes on at the end of that verse, kind of 12 onwards, and he says, hey, there's this, this these verses that people get in a bit of a knot over, but he says this, hey, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, a couple of things I want to just pull out of this line, uh, this, this, this verse. Firstly, we read this verse and we read it like this, for it is God who is at work in me, and so I need to continue to work out my, my salvation with fear and trembling right? I think we read it like that. But that's because we don't read Greek. And if we were to go back and read the Greek, you'd discover that the word your is not singular, but plural. See, Paul's talking to the whole church. Remember how the letter started? To all the believers and the elders and the deacons, to all of you, together as one. I'm talking to you as a community, as a one, as a group, as, as a body. I'm talking to you. Continue to work out the salvation of your community in fear and trembling, for God who is at work within your community to bring about his purposes. So he's still talking to us as a community. What does this look like? What does it look like? Okay, first up, um, what does it mean to, to work out our salvation for God as it work in us? And that feels a bit weird, right? Because we all know that he's the one who saved us. So what does it mean that we have to work out our salvation? Do I need to do something to be saved? Is there more that we need to do as a community to finish our salvation off? What does that mean? And, and, and I want to unpack that because I, I think that we can get a little confused around that sometimes maybe. Um, let me just start by saying that if you have faith in Jesus, you are saved. <laughs> There's nothing more to do, all right? That's the scripture. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Okay, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in all your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. End of story. Okay, so what does this verse mean then? Well, first up, it is God who is at work in us. He's doing the saving. He's the one who is transforming us as a community. Okay, we're not doing that. He is. But what is our job? Our job then is to work out from what he is doing. To, to say, hey, God's done this in us. What does that look like now in our community to live that out, to work that out, for it to look practical? How do we love one another? This isn't just about me. I'm saved. Jesus died for me. Yes, he did. He did die for you. He died for me, but he died for us, for us. Your salvation is bigger than just you. It is the body of Christ. When you got saved from your sin into new life, you also got saved into a new family, the church. 
So what does it look like for you to be part of that? For you to help others walk in that, to discover what God is doing in them, to discover what his good purpose is for us as a community. What does that look like? Our community should look like Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. I wonder if we were to do a quick survey of the people outside of this church and the local community. I wonder if we, I wonder if they would say, yeah, when I look at these guys and their relationships with one another, I see that they love each other like Jesus. This is what the scripture says. The scripture says that by the way you love one another, that's talking to the church, by the way you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. When they look at us, do they see us loving one another? Do they see us laying down our own hopes and dreams for somebody else's sake? What does that look like? I think it's really easy to rock up to church in this modern world and be very consumer. I've come to receive the worship and to hear Matt preach and then to decide if I liked that or not and then to let him know if I liked that or not. <laughs> I'll be on the door afterwards. Okay. <clears throat> uh, but we do. We, we come. We come expecting to receive. And, and, and hear me, my heart and my hope is that when you come here, you do receive. But that you receive his word to you, that you receive his presence, that you receive his hope, that you receive his blessing, his forgiveness, his healing, his mercy, his grace. But how does that happen? When we come to honor him, when we come as a community for his sake and his glory, then we see who he is and we actually receive truly who he is. We don't come here just to receive. We come here as a community to be part of this. So how are you being part of it? How are you being part of it? How are you helping others to encounter God, to discover his good purpose for their lives? So I'm going to leave that with you, all right? And we're going to go on to chapter 3, okay? And in chapter 3, he goes on, he starts talking about putting your hope and your faith in Christ, he's still banging on about Jesus. Jesus, 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 all the way through the letter, all right? Put your hope and your faith in Christ, not in worldly or religious things. Paul talks about the people that want to circumcise everybody, okay? A religious or worldly thing, a very physical thing. We won't talk about it in detail right now, but you know what that is, okay? And he's saying, hey, these people, they're saying, if you want to follow Jesus, who was a Jew and the king of the Jews, then you need to pick up some of these Jewish customs and practices, and we need to, you know. So, and, uh, <laughs> whew, and, uh, and Paul's there, he's saying, no, guys, no, 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 no. Salvation isn't coming through any worldly thing. It's just through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't put your hope in worldly things or religious things. And then he bangs on about how he is the most religious of all people. I'm the Jew of Jews from the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, and he just goes on about all this stuff. He said, if anyone had any right to be telling you that you should be doing this, it's me. But listen to what I'm saying. It's not this. It's Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. I love that, right? This is Paul, the great, okay, who wrote all of these letters, this great church planter and leader. And here he is saying, I want to know Christ. I haven't achieved it yet, he goes on to say. I'm still trying to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. 
I'm laying everything else down to run after what he has given and offered. It's all about Jesus. Are you with me so far? Are you catching the drift of this sermon? Okay. What is Paul saying to the church in Philippi? It is all about Jesus. If for one moment you thought it was about something else, if for one split second you thought that you had to do something else or hope in something else, or then you, you got this wrong. It's all about him. That's it. End of story. The question for us is how do we live that out then? What does that look like, right? So as he moves into chapter 4, he, he talks a little bit more about, about Jesus. And he talks a little bit more about what this looks like for us as followers of Jesus and how we live this out. And he says one of the things that sometimes I read and I'm like, boom, what an epic statement. And other times I'm like, Ooh, controversial. <laughs> That's hard. And this is when he says this in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. What should it look like for us as followers of Jesus? We should be a community of rejoicing. A rejoicing. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do, here it comes, do not be anxious about anything. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how we're all doing on that, right? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. I want to just talk real briefly about this. Do not be anxious about anything. Is, is that okay? All right. And, and, and hands up. I am not a medical expert. Okay. So let me just say now, any medical diagnosis of any condition, or any, I'm not talking about that. Okay. I'm talking about the kind of anxiety that every human being is able to experience when we go through things. Okay. This is what I'm talking about, just to be really clear on that. I'm not stepping into medical grounds. I'm talking about just the kind of worry and anxiety that we as human beings can feel. And Paul's saying, don't, don't feel that. Don't be anxious, ever, in anything. And I'm like, wow, that's a big, bold statement. So what does that mean? What does that actually mean? Well, I took a look into the Greek word, which was very, very helpful. And uh, the Greek word for anxiety or anxious that Paul uses here, um, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this properly, Mackie, so please don't judge me. Uh, but I, I think it's something like merimneo, merimneo. Okay, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, he's nodding and smiling. I kind of got it right. Great. Merimneo. Okay. And, and if you look up this word in the Greek, if you, you can go um, type into Google interlinear Philippians chapter 4. And, and it will bring up chapter 4 in the Greek, and you can read it with the English and Greek. And you can click on the Greek word, and it will tell you the definition of the Greek. And it will tell you about the root words and other words it's connected to. And all of that is, is a great, great tool that anybody can use, okay? Um, and uh, I went and I looked up this word, merimneo. And, and it said that this was what it means. It said it means divided, drawn in opposite directions, a part, not whole. Okay, so the word merimneo, which we translate to mean anxiety or anxiousness in the English, means to be divided, poured in opposite directions, or a part not connected to the whole. Did you see that? And when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that makes sense to me. 
of when I feel anxious about something. Does it make sense to you? I started to realize that when I have that sense of worry or anxiety creeping into my life, it's often because I'm feeling torn about something. Maybe I've got two different bits of advice or multiple bits of advice, and and I don't know which one to take. I don't know which way to look. I don't know which person I should be chatting to about this. I don't like fill in the blank, whatever works for you. But sometimes it's like I'm being pulled in opposite directions. I've been separated from the whole and I'm feeling isolated and anxious because I don't know what to do. And I was like, wow, that makes sense to me. And I think that Probably for many of us in this room, when we've been feeling anxious or we've been feeling that sense of anxiety and worry, it's often because there are conflicting ideas in our minds or our hearts. There are conflicting things that are being said to us, and we feel pulled in different directions. And I'm going to say something that's really easy to say right now, but I appreciate that when you feel that, probably isn't so easy to do. But I want to give some of you today permission to say no to some of the things that are being said to you. Because I think for some of us, some of the things that are pulling us in different directions, actually, we just need to say no to them. And sometimes we, we're not saying no to them because we don't want to upset that person. We don't want to fall out with them. We don't want to, I don't know, you don't want to lose your job. But I don't know what it is for you, right? But I want to say to you today, if, you, if you're feeling some of that being pulled in different directions, then you need to know that you can say no to some of those things. Now, the flip side of that, is that some of us have been saying no to everything, right? Some of us have been saying, actually, no, I don't don't want to serve on that team. Actually, no, I don't want to get involved in that. Actually, no, I don't want to give my money to that. Actually, no, I don't want to receive that word that Matt's preaching. No, 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 no. And, and hear me when I say this. Um, how many of you read John Mark Homer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? Some, some of you? Yeah, great. Quite a few of you. Okay. Uh, there was a big move in the Christian world, if you uh, were kind of keeping track with it at all, uh, with this whole thing about rest and about stopping and about saying no to things and just enjoying the rest that God gives. But I, I think that some of us took that too far. <laughs> and I think that some of us gave up everything and said no to everything because we thought that was the right thing to do. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I think Paul is saying, say no to these things so that you can say yes to being one of mind with Jesus. Say no to these things so that you can say yes to the community that you are now one with. You might be feeling some anxiety around church or around kind of the way that stuff happens or whatever. And maybe that anxiety is because you are a part, not connected to the whole. And so today I want to say to you, you've been saying no to lots of things. Say yes. Get involved. Join a home group. Uh, I don't know, serve on a team. Say hello to someone that you've never spoken to in this room before. Some of you have been here for years and years and years. And there are people that are coming in and you don't know. Go and say hello. Introduce yourself. Stop being a part and be a whole. Some of us need to say no so we can say yes to the things of Jesus. Jesus isn't just calling you to lay everything down. He's calling you to be part of what he is and what he is doing. And I think that we see that when we look at the word rejoice. Okay? Because I don't know if 
you read this passage and maybe you struggled with it and you were like, yeah, okay, well, it's easy for you to say rejoice, Paul, but I can't just flick a switch and turn on my feelings and my hope and my joy and, my, and, and just generally fake goodness in me. And I think that we read the word rejoice and some of us think that's what it means, that Paul is telling us to fake happiness. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. So, so again, I, I took a look at the Greek word, okay? And, and the Greek word, I'm definitely not going to pronounce this properly. It's spelt with some weird, funny X letter in the English translation, C-H something or other. Anyway, but like, I'm looking at Mackie like he's going to judge me. Uh, Chairo? Hiero. Okay, great. We're going with the Albanian. Hiero. Okay. So, um, and when I looked into this word, um, I discovered that this word can be translated a, a, as rejoice, but do you know this word can also be translated as farewell? It can be translated as farewell or Godspeed. Isn't that weird? I, I, that, that look on your face, Emma, that is the look that I had as I was staring at the computer screen. I was like, what? This word means, it means rejoice, but it also means Godspeed and farewell. And I was like, what a strange word. And, and then I, I looked at the root word, and, and the root word, um, these first three letters that form this, the root of this word, they mean to lean into, to lean into, to lean towards. And then I was like, oh, this word, rejoice, has got something to do with movement. Do you see that? It's got something to do with movement. It's not a, well, I just stand here in my mess, in my anxiety, in my pain, in my struggle, and I just flick happiness on and pretend to be happy. That's not rejoice. Rejoice is about moving. It's about leaning into something else. Okay? And um, the word rejoice is a cognate word, uh, which means it's linked to other words that all come from the same root word. And some of those other words are these. Joy, obviously, and grace. Joy and grace. And so when you start to look at this word rejoice in the Greek as Paul's writing, and you think about the context of the letter where Paul was banging on about what? Christ Jesus, right? You start to realize that what Paul is saying is this. Lean into grace. Lean into grace. Who is the grace of God? Christ Jesus. He is the one who came from God, is the image of God, is full of grace and truth. He is the revelation of grace. And so what is Paul saying? Hey, lean in to Jesus. Lean in to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, he goes on and he says, by prayer and petition. So pray. Feeling anxious? Lean into Jesus. Pray. With thanksgiving, praise Worship, praise him, come to him, lean into his presence. I love uh, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I've heard people use this verse to mean that anything that we consider to be lovely and, and pure, we should think about. And I'm not sure that that's what Paul's saying. I think that Paul has already defined what he means by what is lovely, praiseworthy, admirable. I think he's defined it already. And he goes on and he says in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received, so what you've already learned or received, 
or heard from me or seen in me put into practice? What have they seen or heard from Paul or in Paul? The gospel. This is the thing he bangs on about again and again and again and again. Christ Jesus. What is lovely? What is praiseworthy? What is admirable? What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Think on the things of Jesus. Let the the thoughts of Jesus transform your thinking. Let them renew your mind. If you... uh, Hop back to chapter 3 in verse 13 and 14. You'll see that he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? If you're in a situation... Turn from that situation. Say no to those things and say yes to Jesus. Lean in to Jesus. Pray. Read his word. Think upon who he is, what he says, what he does. Let his spirit transform you. That's what Paul is saying. And you might think, well, it's easy for Paul to say, but he doesn't know my situation. You're right. Maybe he doesn't. But don't forget, where is he right now? In prison. In a Roman prison bound in chains, possibly going to be executed. And he knows it. And if you read on in chapter 4, he says, hey, I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's the secret? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. How are you trying to do what you're doing right now? How are you living How are you doing life? How are you doing family? How are you doing finance? How are you doing church? How are you doing parenting? How are you doing honoring your mother and father? (laughs) How are you doing in your workplace? Are you doing all these things? I hope you're smiling because I honor you. Great. Lovely. Otherwise, I'm going to talk to you afterwards. No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. How, how are you doing with life, guys? Are you doing it all in and through Christ Jesus? Or are you trying to do it in other ways? Do you remember last week when we talked about Job? And we jumped all the way back to Genesis 1. And for the sake of anyone who wasn't here, I'm just going to briefly say it again. We talked about the garden and the trees in the garden, Remember? There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God did not want you to have a knowledge of evil. But then the flip side of that is it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means God did not want you to have a knowledge of good. And we're all like, but what did God want you to know? Life. He wanted you to know him. He wanted you to know the one who is life, who is good. He wanted that to be your experience. He didn't want you to have to figure it all out, to strive for it, to battle through it. He wanted you to know him and experience it. And Paul is saying the same thing here. Turn, forget what is behind. Leave that. Leave that struggle, that sense of trying to figure everything out and make everything right. And press in to Jesus. 
Press in to Jesus, the one who is good, the one who is life. Let him be your all in all. Let him be king. Let him be the one who shapes what you do, how you think, how you speak, how you act. Let him shape your life. This is the message that Paul is writing to the Philippians. Jesus above all, over all, in all. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's the message. And and so... I want to land just by asking you, how are you, uh, how are you doing with that? Are you making Jesus Christ king of your life? Are you making him number one above all other things? Are you leaning in? I don't just mean here today. I mean every moment of every day. Are you leaning in? Are you leaning in with all the different areas of your life? Are you seeking to have his mind about all things? Man, that's hard. Because I don't know about you, but I often think that I'm right. And I am. But I'm not. But am I seeking to lay all that stuff down and say, Lord, I want your mind on this. I want your words to inform what I think and how I see the world. Because your word is life. We sang it earlier on, right? His word is life. How are you doing with that? So we're going to worship because worship is one of the ways that we can lean in. And Nathan, the band are going to come. And um, I wonder if there are some of us here who know that we haven't been making Jesus number one. Jesus has not been our all in all. How do you know if Jesus hasn't been your number one? Probably you're torn between his way and a different way. Probably the thing that is dictating what you should do or how you should act or what you should think or say right now is another person or another situation, or another issue, if that's what comes to mind when you start thinking about how you're going to do tomorrow, the first thing that comes to mind is, right, well, this person, or that situation, or this, this struggle, then probably that is what's on the throne of your life right now. And I know that it's easy to say that, and not always easy to process what we feel about that. But I want to take an opportunity in this place today just to lay our feelings down and to take that stuff off the throne and say, Jesus, right now in this moment, I let you take the throne again. Will you stand? I want to ask us just to close our eyes. want you just in your heart to pray this really simple prayer. Search me, oh God. Search me, oh God. Holy Spirit, will you come? Come and rest upon us in this place. Come and fill our hearts and our minds.
search us, Lord. Father, where you have not been on the throne of our hearts and lives right now, we honestly just say before you we're sorry. And Lord, we just confess before you the things that have been on the throne of our lives. And God, for many of us in this room, we don't know practically what this looks like. But in this moment, we say no to that stuff and we turn and we chase after you. Lord, we lean into your grace right now. We lean into your abundant love. We lean into the mercy that you offer to the hope, forgiveness, the healing. We rejoice in this moment, Lord. We return 